Now, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, which you have heard read in the message, and I'll be using the NIV for my points and discussion this morning, but the message was so powerful, graphic, and written in the ordinary language that we use today, I thought it appropriate for you to hear. Thank you, Tommy and Christy Alley, for reading that for us. There are two trilogies here for sure, and maybe a third in this passage they've read. Uh, One of them is about activities that are forbidden to the child of God, and one of them is about ways of speaking that are forbidden to the child of God. But I have spent my presence since Wednesday night and by myself since Thursday morning in the presence of a different trio, faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love have been my constant companions for the last four days. I have been in charge of Eden Faith, Elizabeth Hope, and Elena Love, my granddaughters, ever since my wife and my two daughters went to Texas for a shower for Rebecca. And Janet was going to stay and take care of the grandchildren. And I said, hey, what are Papa's for? So I've had faith, hope, and love in my heart and in my sight all weekend. And I want to tell you something about this passage before we jump into it, all right? If you're not focused on faith, hope, and love, and if you're not before the throne saying the Lamb alone is worthy, this doesn't really make sense to you, all right? It's just not going to make sense. You've got to be seeking in your heart and mind to imitate God. Like it starts out, be imitators of God. That's got to be in your heart. There must be a passion to follow Christ at all costs. This must be the longing of your heart in order for this to work. This doesn't fit into a nonchalant, sort of halfway, three pounds of religion kind of idea. You know, a little sprinkling on your life to sort of make it a little more interesting. That's not what this is about. When you get to Ephesians chapter 5, if you're not absolutely committed like the Apostle Paul is and everyone that has trusted Christ that he wants to be, if you're not absolutely committed, it doesn't make much sense. You've got to be passionate about it. Now, James Cameron produced the movie, the blockbuster Avatar, and it's about this tribe uh, on another planet that are being beset by technology and the bulldozers about to plow down their sacred forest. Did you read in the paper today that having done this, James Cameron, who's been sort of interested in environmental issues up to now, has now become a passionate environmentalist. And he has actually gone down to the Amazon basin and met with seven tribes that are being threatened by a dam they're about to build on one of the tributaries of the Amazon. I mean, he is into it. And he's planning another trip down there. Now, I don't know what you think about the rainforest and and saving the Amazon basin and all of the native cultures or whatever. But let me tell you this. He's passionate about it. He's going to the Amazon. Jesus died on the cross for you, gave it all for you, poured it out for you. His death was a fragrant aroma unto God. How passionate are you about being his disciple? I mean, does it fill in your heart? Are you ready to go to the Amazon, wherever God might take you? 
to share his love and do his work? I mean, is that in you? Or are you just tagging along by a little thin rope? Just wherever the current goes. Be imitators of God and live a life of love. I like that. I've got it underlined in my Bible because I like its summary in verse 2. Live a life of love. Now, here's some things. There not to be a hint of these things in your life, brother. Okay, not even a hint. They shouldn't even be named among us as brothers and sisters in Christ, as followers of Jesus. Not even a hint of sexual morality, immorality, impurity, or greed. Now, sexual immorality comes up a lot in the Bible because it comes up a lot in life. If you wonder, why is there so much about sexual immorality and adultery in the Bible? Because there's a lot of it in the world. And this sexual immorality here is a catchphrase. We sometimes translate it fornication. It's from the Greek porneo, from which we get pornography. That's what it is. Now, here, here it is. If you're sold out to Jesus and you're living a life of love, there's not going to be a hint of sexual immorality on your life. It won't be there. Why? Because you're living a life of love and you're seeking to imitate the Father who loves you and you're seeking to demonstrate His outpouring of love to you, to all those around you. I hear people say, well, that's what love is. If you really loved me, you'd do this with me. And the pressure's on, you know, to have sex before marriage. If you really loved me, oh yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, that's the self. That's the, that's the desire. See, we think that these practices of immorality are expressions of love, but they're the opposite. They're the gratification of the flesh. They're, they're the surrender to the desire. They are basically selfish and self-centered. And once you have given yourself, just see if he hangs around. They're the opposite of love. Love protects and cherishes the one who is loved, watches over and keeps them. And in the brotherhood and sisterhood of the fellowship, It should never be named among us that a man in this fellowship would seduce a woman in this fellowship or vice versa into sexual immorality. That's the opposite of what God's called us to be and do. That's not who we are. It's a violation of everything God's built into us as his followers. So there's no hint of sexual immorality in his church among people who say the Lamb is worthy. Now, Paul didn't write this to condemn. He wrote this to instruct. 
Because if we violate this principle, it's self-destructive behavior. Not only is it destructive of others, but it's destructive of ourselves. The Bible consistently, from one side to the other, sets forth sex in marriage as God's standard and plan. And outside of that, it's sin. It's simple. God made you for the man you're going to marry, the woman you're going to marry. And he has in the vows till death do us part. So it's just you and that one loving each other. There's something wonderful about that. I mean, I've liked it from the beginning, you know. Having my wife to love. But back when I was a young man and married her, I really didn't love her like I do now. I mean, 37 years later, a faithfulness to one another and loving each other, it's grand. It's glorious. And God's plan is perfect. He's calling you to sexual purity. Shouldn't even be named, not even a hint of impurity. And that's a catchphrase for all kind of motives and actions that are filled with things besides love. Now, I don't have to unpack that because the Holy Spirit unpacks that for you the minute you get into it. You start behaving in certain ways, motivated by certain longings, desires, impulses, angers, envies. And just like that, the Holy Spirit's on you. If you're a child of God, if you're a brother or sister, you know, if you know the Lord, if you want Him to receive glory from your life, if you're seeking to live a life of love, And you start being motivated by things that are outside of love and acting in ways that are outside of love if it's not pure, if it's impure. Oh, you might be able to say, oh no, I still love Jesus. I do. But but I'm still into this other. You know what they called that back in the old time, don't you? Idolatry. No, you got your bail over here. You want to bow down to make sure you get your crops. The God of increase. Oh, you want to worship both of them. That's impure. The word in the scripture is acatharsis. Not clean. You know when it's going on in your life. And you're into behaviors that have been driven by something besides the spirit of God. You absolutely know it. So if he's Lord and you are his dear child, turn it loose. That's what he's saying. Not even a hint of impurity or greed. Look, how did greed get in his list? We're capitalists for heaven's sakes. And greed keeps getting in all the bad lists. We're not supposed to be greedy, coveting, 
an inordinate ordinate, and insatiable desire for more. Our lives driven by accumulation. That's sin. We know it. When the Holy Spirit shines His light on us, and we're expending everything we've got just to accumulate, we know the hollowness and emptiness of that. One of the ways to cure the greed is to get generous. Work hard. Do the best you can so you can give away more and more. So you can help those in need. So you can be a blessing. And when somebody in the family's in trouble or in the family of faith is in trouble, there you are. Somebody who's worked hard so you can have to give to those in need. Generosity is the antidote for greed. Jesus always amazes me when I look at him and material stuff. I'm astonished by his freedom from the tyranny of things. He doesn't live under the tyranny of things. I look at my life sometimes and get under conviction how trapped I am by the stuff I've accumulated. But Jesus has an amazing freedom. Don't worry about the clothes. Don't worry about the food. God's going to take care of you. Seek the kingdom first. And all these other things will be added unto you. What world does he live in? (laughs) You know? I mean, what world does this man from Nazareth live in? He lives in our world. In a different way. With a transformational attitude of love. That changes Everything from the inside out. You know, if you're consumed with greed, it's hard on all the relationships in your life. That is a wicked taskmaster. And he will wear you out and throw you off. And when it's all said and done and all you got left is the stuff... And everybody else has run away. You will know then, too late, that the most important thing in your life is loving people and holding them close and caring for them above everything else. Not even a hint of sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. These are improper for God's holy people. See, I told you, You can only understand this in the context of surrender to the love of God. All these other things, they're against love. Now he says later on, no immoral. You see this in verse 6? No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God of Christ and of God. No immoral, impure, or greedy person. Such a man is an idolater. We have idols even today. And these three things turn your heart away from the Lamb who alone is worthy of your ultimate focus and allegiance. So give your heart to Him alone. That's the first trilogy. And the second are these words. 
nor should there be not even a hint and not even a word like this, nor should there be obscenity. Okay, now I don't know why the Apostle Paul keeps getting in our business. This is the second time he's brought this up in this letter. Apparently, he wants us to stop talking obscenely. As children of God, as beloved of the Lord, as imitating God, living a life of love, get rid of the language that's loveless and hateful and full of cursing. No obscenity. No foolish talk. You know what the core of that word is? The word for moron. No moronic talk. Hey, nobody likes a good joke better than me. Me and these three girls, we have laughed our way all through the last three days. Everything's funny. We've had a great time. God's not trying to kill laughter in your life. He's trying to help you match your speech, what you let out into the office, into the air, into the atmosphere of your life. He's trying to match that up with a life of love, with imitating him, with behaviors that are pure and words that are pure. That's all he's trying to do. And we know we cross that edge. And sometimes we hang our head and we walk away from a conversation and say, gosh, I wish I had never said that. No foolish jesting is in here. I wish I'd never made that joke. I feel unclean myself. And what the apostle wants to do is just heighten your awareness of the power of your words and how your words either reinforce the testimony you're seeking to bear and the life you're seeking to live or they undercut it. And the obscenity and the profanity and the coarse joking and all those things can undercut the good things God's trying to do in you. He's drawn people to Christ through your behavior and your testimony. Don't compromise it. That's what he's saying. Be careful with your words. You know, James makes an observation. He says, if you could just control the tongue, if you could just get a hold of your tongue, don't you wish that sometimes? Oh, Lord, help me get a hold of my tongue. This tongue gets loose and whips up on the people I'm supposed to love. It's almost like untamable in my head. James says, if you could control your tongue, you could control every other part of your body. He says, the tongue is set on fire by hell. And in a world full of words, God's holy people, are called to a higher standard of sifting through the thoughts that come in your mind and biting your tongue so that every word honors Christ. That's what God is doing in you. The trilogy of speech. Not even a hint of these three, not even a word of obscenity, foolishness, coarse joking. They are, look at that, out of place. Those behaviors, sexual immorality, impurity, and greed, they are improper for the child of God. They just don't fit. And these kinds of talking, that's out of place. Out of what place? Out of place. Out of what place? It's out of place 
for living in love. It's out of place in imitating God. Now, I want you to notice how the ethics is taught in Scripture. On what basis do I decide what is right and wrong? Who decides? How do I decide? Do you ever have to talk about that in class? How do you know if it's right? How do you know if it's wrong? Well, here it is for you. It's a very personal instruction to you. Some things are improper, out of place for God's holy people. And if they don't fit in your commitment to Christ, they don't fit in your life, they don't fit in your mouth. God wants us to be cleaner and brighter in his world. He wants to clean us up and shine us up so that he can use us up for his glory. And he's interested in you bearing the light in a powerful way in your world. We prayed about the murder that happens in our streets. Jesus said, murder comes from hatred. It's a heart condition. When we operate in anger and greed and lust, we contribute to the moral malaise in this city. We bring the community down. This community and the community of which we are a part. But when we honor the standard God has and live in a way proper, and speak in a way that is proper for God's people. We lift the community of which we are a part. The scripture says in Proverbs eleven eleven, and we've rehearsed it many times. Through the, not the cursing, not the obscenity, not the coarse joking. Through the blessing of the righteous, a city is what? Exalted. Proverbs 11, 11. Through the blessing. How do you bless? You bless with words. You bless with your speech. Through the blessing, through your blessing, through the things that come out of your mouth, through the pure, pure water that flows out of your life, through the light God shines through you, He exalts everyone around you. You just think about how the office atmosphere changes. When the individual who will not stoop to that kind of foul language walks in the room. You better watch it. They'll start calling you preacher. That's an insult, you know. (laughs) Who, you think you're a preacher? I remember one of the guys on the playground when I was a boy was trying to convince me to do something. And already by age 10 or 11... I was a committed follower of Jesus through the instruction of my my parents. And I remember even back then, you know, talking to people about the Lord. And this boy was just at me to join with him, like it says later on. Do not be partners with him, even, he says in this passage. And I kept telling him no and telling him no. And finally he said to me, David, you're not a saint. 
wait a minute. Yes, I am. God's holy people. That's the word saint. It is improper for God's holy people. You are a saint. I'm looking at St. John, St. Jim, St. Bob, St. Mary. I'm looking at the saints. And God's busy at work in you, seeking to pour his light into your world. And when you talk bad and you act bad, you put the light under the bushel and cover it up. When he concludes this chapter, he pulls out a couple of things to just strengthen our resolve as we live our life faithfully with with purity and brightness in our world. And I love the things he says here. One of them is live as children of light. There are some people who are children of darkness and they think the world is dark and that's just the way it is. And the world's so dark for them, it doesn't really matter what bad things they do. Everything's going down the drain anyway. What else matters? And there's a cynicism about it that's just full of despair. That's not who we are. We are children of the light. We have discovered there is a good God in heaven who loves us and made us for himself and destines us for him. And through the resurrection of Jesus, we're going to spend eternity with him. We have glimpses of heaven where we are surrounding the throne, giving worship to the Lamb. That's who we are. And when we shine that light in our world, it lightens everything up. So live as children of light. That's what he says. Secondly, find out what pleases the Lord. You see that in verse 10? Find out what pleases the Lord. Here's how you behave. Here's how you decide what's right and wrong. Live like a children of light. If it fills your world with light, that's one of the standards for what we do. And find out what pleases the Lord. Every child of God knows what it is to grieve the Holy Spirit. We talk about grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieving has to do with something you've already done. All right? You did it and you realize that broke the heart of God. That's something I need to confess. That was against God. When David committed the sin of adultery, you know what he cried out? God against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And the first one you need to apologize to for behavior that has been destructive to self or others is the God who made you wonderful, who designed you for himself. And say, Lord, I want to please you. And I'm sorry that what I did was displeasing to you. Find out what pleases the Lord. If you'll ask that question in the point of decision, God will give you wisdom. Some of you are praying for wisdom. You really want to know. And you've thought about what is wise. Here it is. This is wisdom. Find out what pleases the Lord. Live a life as a child of light. Live a life of love. And then there's this little verse at the end that he concludes this with. 
Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And somebody said, that's a, that's a verse from a hymn. And uh, they believe that this little verse might have been used in conjunction with baptism services. They have reason to believe that, that when people were baptized, and I'm pointing over here at our baptistry, that they would say, wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And when, when I baptize people, I tell them, now what I'm about to do to you, dunking you under the water in full of all these people, this is a pretty memorable event, all right? It's not going to just disappear from your mind. More than likely, you're going to remember it. And my father and my mother were reminiscing with me about the Crow Wing River outside of Oilin, Minnesota. And I remember when I was baptized in that chilly water and it was spring and I think all the water was just melted snow and it was cold, cold. Not like cold in here if we don't turn on the heater. I mean, it was like there should have been ice along the shore. When I got baptized. But I remember it to this day. Alright. Here's the third thing. Okay. Live as a child of life. Light. Find what pleases the Lord. And live consistent with your baptism. The old is gone, brother. The new has come. If you're comfortable in the old, maybe you didn't get saved in the first place. If sexual immorality, impurity, and greed are good adjectives to describe you, maybe you need to go back to the point of salvation and ask, did I really understand? The old is gone, the new has come. Baptism is a picture of that raised from the dead. When I got to the end of this passage, I thought, oh, there are going to be some people in there who will say, I know you Christians, you're trying to put your mouths over the laugh, hands over the laughing mouths and step on those dancing feet and take all the joy out of the world. You're going to sanitize the world to death. It's going to be full of death when you're done. You're killing all the joy. Well, number one, nobody has more fun than me, I'm telling you. I have enjoyed my life all the way through and still having a wonderful time living for Jesus. It's been like white water rafting these 57 years. It's been great. It's been fun. It's been exciting. So that's not, that's not it. That's not what Jesus is trying to do. It's not what the apostle is trying to do here. He's not trying to take all the joy out of life and stop all the laughter. It's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's the sin that's killing you. Every good thing in your life is threatened by your disobedience to these standards. The words that you speak, the deeds that you do, the impurity. Don't you know what it's doing? It's bringing you down. That's where it's taking you. And everything in your life is at risk that you really care about. When you step outside these boundaries and practice what is forbidden to the child of God. It's the opposite. Wake up, oh sleeper. 
It's not the gospel that's killing your life. It's the sin. And once you throw your lot in completely with the Christ who threw in his lot with you, you will see. The light will come on. The world will light up. And you will know living for him is the greatest joy, the greatest journey, the greatest challenge. And it's what you were made for. Let's bow together. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to point you out any way. I just, as we bow our heads across this room, if you're struggling with something in your life as a believer, and you just want special prayer, I'm going to pray in a moment for God's strength for those who have those struggles going on right now. Would you slip your hand up and say, hey, pray for me. Include me in this prayer. Yes, God bless you. I see hands all across the auditorium. You want to be included in this prayer? I want the strength to do what I know is right. Yes, God bless you. Any others? Yes, God bless you. Lord, give me strength. God, I pray for these who have raised their hands right now. And Lord, I don't know what their struggle is, but you do. And by your Holy Spirit, I pray that you administer your strength to them in body, mind, and spirit. That you would clarify your purposes for them so that they would live and work out of the motives of love and purity that you have planted in them. God, that they might follow the Holy Spirit and not grieve him or quench him, but listen to his voice. Father, I pray for strength and victory this coming week for these who have raised their hands. And others, God, I pray that all of us would conform our lives to the calling you have placed upon us, that we might represent our crucified Savior well in a world that so needs him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.